Let's do it. All right. Yeah. All right. Season four. <laughs> we what, what what is there any theological for four gospels? Quadrinity. Horsemen of the Apocalypse. That's <laughs> seeming a little more 2018. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Hey, welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and culture. My name is Betsy Gonzalez, and I serve as the head chaplain at Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia. And I am excited that we are beginning season four of Popping Collars with a hostful podcast or a quad host, if you will, or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I don't know. It's all four hosts are here. First, we have Greg Knight. Greg, where are you? What are you up to? Uh, I am in Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm the director of children and youth ministries. Just got back from a camping trip with my high school youth where I got to sleep on the ground. I think I'm getting a little too old for that. Um, then we're out to the West coast, Ricardo Avila. You are someplace new and doing something new. Where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Betsy. I am the, uh, new rector at St. Luke's Episcopal church in Beautiful Los Gatos, California, Mm -hmm. and uh, in less than two weeks, uh, we will celebrate the installation, investiture, institutionalization of of the rector of this parish. That is me. So I'm very excited about that. And so far, so good. I've been here almost four months, and Mm -hmm. it's a sweet community, and the place is ridiculous. It's in downtown Los Gatos. There are like Santa Cruz Mountains right outside the door. That sounds. Does that mean the cats? It means the cats, and, and there's a history about that, and I can't remember it. I'll, oh, next time. Next time. Next time. <laughs> and finally, we go to middle of the country. Liz Easton, where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Betsy. Um, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, where I serve as the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. I'm just getting ready for Lent. I'm hunkering down. It's a cold winter yeah. in Nebraska. It's a great time to deprive myself of worldly pleasures. So what are you depriving yourself of, Liz? I'm, I'm going big this year, and it might be a detriment to the podcast. I'm giving up all um, like TV and streaming video. Oh, good. Right. Well, it's nice having you on, Liz. We'll uh, see you next this season. This is Liz's final podcast <laughs> with Popping Collars, at least for the next 38 days. Yeah. Well, my friends, this is episode 76 of Popping Collars as we're zooming towards that 100th episode it's so exciting and today's topic is what does it mean to be a fan when your idols are guaranteed to let you down <laughs> i think uh sports fans out there have fought this fight for years asking questions about can i enjoy the game of a player while hating the player now We have done episodes on being a fan through collections that we keep or how pop music speaks to us, but not so much this kind of direct celebrity conversation that we're thinking about for today. Um, I think especially in the wake of the Me Too movement sweeping Hollywood and entertainment, 
And to be honest, we actually talked about just beginning with a Me Too episode, but the more we've kind of looked at the year and what's happening, we feel like this is a movement that's sustaining and it's probably going to be a thread through our episodes this season going forward. So, because nevertheless, this is persisting. So, for folks who take being a fan seriously and see fanship as an extension of ourselves, right? You know, I my question for the panel is, you know, what individual would you need to do some ethical backflips to somehow justify or twist yourself into being okay if something <laughs> were to come out about them? Or would you just simply be devastated? Well, is it okay if I said a person who is no longer with us? Mm-hmm. Because I had cousins that were huge fans growing up, and it kind of led all of us um, who uh, grew up in my family down this path. We loved Prince. We loved Prince so much. There was really nothing that Prince could do wrong uh, in our eyes. No album that Prince could put out that we wouldn't buy and listen to and inwardly digest. Uh, And so if we were in this situation and an allegation were made about, oh, well, it turns out that Prince did this horrible thing, it would really make me reevaluate the past 40 years of my life because so much of that stuff, you know, so much of the beauty of it, so much of the identity of it is part of who I am as a person. Mine is a music one. Also, I think if, um, if Bruce Springsteen was ever found to have done something really awful, harassed women or et cetera, that would, that would be hard. That would be hard. I don't know that I would make the ethical backflips, but I have such, historical emotional investment in his music like i you know i was listening to the river when i was in you know high school etc and so that would be hard unlike like bob dylan which i don't actually expect a lot out of <laughs> i don't i love his music but he's kind of a jerk already i think um <laughs> but um yeah, we just lost Bob Dylan as a listener. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bob Dylan, huge popping collars fan. <laughs> He's all over the tweets. Can't get enough. Hey, what you saying about me? Right. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, and Sufjan Stevens as well would be hard. Yeah. The first person I thought of was Barack Obama, who, of course, has proven himself to be kind of above reproach. Um, anyway, I think that that was part of his success. But if something came out where, like, one of these Me Too style um, allegations was made about President Obama, that would be really hard for me. And also Oprah Winfrey. Mm. I know. I like, I, Greg, hearing you talk about Prince made me think of, like, even in probably middle school sitting in front of the TV and like learning so much about the world through the lens of Oprah and then how that has now continued into my thirties. I still just, she's not, she's not perfect, but um, has been kind of a steady cultural icon throughout my coming of age. So that would be hard for me, but it's, it's so weird that just things that we saw on TV or in movies or, you know, tropes of things not long ago, that now I look at with this whole new, maybe, maybe I'm just, a, you know, I'm more awake and conscious to it, but you're like going, Oh my God, how did that ever air on television? How did that Doritos ad where the women's clothes fly off? How did that ever, how was that a Super Bowl ad for Doritos? Not that long ago. Right. And well, I mean, yeah. 
What is happening? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. How how was Entourage a hit show on HBO not that long ago? You know, a, a, a show that prided itself on the objectification of women. I think it's almost like the NFL. Like, I'm not a huge football fan, but I'll like I watched the Super Bowl, for example. And it was very hard for me to watch that knowing what I know now about the effects of traumatic brain injury. Does the whole um, industry, if you will, need to be reformed before you can appropriately consume that material? Or is there a middle ground? Do we have to be perfect fans? Just... (laughs) You know, that's and that's not possible. And then maybe that's a good lesson, especially as you head into Oscar season, because you want to think that the people who are receiving awards are worthy of the awards that they're receiving. It's only a year ago that Casey Affleck won the award for Best Actor. And we all knew at the time that he had been accused of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. What a, I mean, and now a year now later, he can't even present. And now a year later, he can't present. Um, so is that is that a I mean, I would say that's a good thing for how fans are experiencing this art moving forward. Well, Liz asked a good question, and I made an allusion to it in in the opener, you know, that we've uh, been trying to love the game, but hate the player when it comes to sports, you know, when it's, you know, well, this person, you know, domestic abuse or this person with a gun charge or this person with whatever. And can we still root for our team? You know, because it's got all of that nostalgia and everything wrapped up in it because our dad and I sat and watched it together or whatever it is. And, you know, can we enjoy a piece of art while having issue with the creator of that art? Well, and there's a, you know, an economic component to all of it. Like we um, one of the few things that we have agency over in a, you know, capitalist system like ours is how we spend our money. And so I think about that with, you know, the very, I mean, we could do a whole episode on Super Bowl advertising, which is like, was just like baffling to me this year. But, you know, when you go to the movies or when you pay to download something, you know, you are voting, you are, you're participating in the system and sort of affirming it with your dollars. First thing I want to say is my main men, Dostoevsky and Dickens, they were bad. They were bad to their women. They were bad to their kids. Maybe I don't know if Dostoevsky had kids, but but man, their literature kicks butt in my mind. To my mind, and I'm going to keep reading that. Now, granted, they're 150 years old. I, I would read it, and I don't actually think about how Dickens really publicly dissed his wife. Conversely, Bill Cosby, to me, I'm kind of done with. Maybe because it's easy, and maybe because his image was wholesome. Uh, whereas, quite honestly, like with Louis C.K. I think it's good that he's kind of keeping away, but I didn't finish watching all of his show, you know, um, his TV show. And I'm going to finish when I have time because I'm, I mean, I have a thing about completion first of all, but I mean, it's, I'm curious. I know there's an episode I haven't seen yet about a woman who's obese and she says some intense things to him and it won an Emmy or something. I want to see what that stuff's about. So I don't know if that makes me a bad person. I if there's an if there's a season three of Master of None, I'll be watching it. Are we supposed to self censor based on what they've done in their lives? And I guess I am personally a fan of of um, having free choice. Personally, uh, it's not clean for me, and I, you know, art for me is such a personal thing. I also think that uh, sort of a something that comes off of that 
is the idea of celebrity penance. Um, this idea that if you're in sort of celebrity jail for a little while, or if you show contrition, or if you do something, if you have like the perfect celebrity apology or something like that, somehow things um, go your way again. Like uh, and I'm, Paula Dean jail. Paula Dean jail. Mel Gibson jail. Yeah. Right? Louis Mel C. Gibson K. just had a hit movie. In, Louis C.K. is in celebrity jail. Right. So Hugh Mel Grant. Gibson. You Grant. Just had a hit movie a month ago. And that's coming on the heels of anti-Semitic comments, anti-women comments, like awful stuff. Awful Mel stuff. Gibson had a hit movie a month ago. Daddy's Home 2. I think that's what it was. Something. The podcast um, can't. The, the, our listening audience can't see my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, Liz. You were not opening night. Daddy's home too. I'm sorry. Was, you weren't there, in line. I didn't see you in line at Daddy's home too. I thought that was you, Liz. I was looking back. <laughs> no. As long as it's still in theaters, you can go during Lent. So I'll check. <laughs> in Omaha. <laughs> I just gotta say, Please. Daddy's Home Two is a great movie title. <laughs> no, oh, how long have we been recording, and we're already this where we're Sorry, yes. So you celebrity jail attendant. You can actually redeem yourself. Is the, there? There is some way of redeeming yourself, and I'm not sure what it is. I mean, I think you know, too, there's an element as a woman thinking about, and I'm not playing the woman card but i'm saying as you know because i you know i read earlier um earlier in the summer i was working on the book uh, girls and sex by peggy ornstein and and kind of how culture popular culture can talk us into how women should be appearing and how uma thurman has re- has had to reflect on yeah. these roles from pulp fiction to kill bill of being a feminist icon in a way but having behind the scenes all of these awful things happening to her with her director, with her producer, and trying to hold all of that together. And that she's so, and has only now been able to really talk about it. And it's years, decades later. I think that part of what this whole issue reveals by making it public and now taking the time to let, to, for people like Uma Thurman to take the time to, tell that story, you know, not be right out of the gate, but the value of it being sort of a long game of exposure Mm -hmm. is that it's showing in this moment where as a culture, we are totally black and white, right and wrong, this and that we're so polarized. We now have in front of us the reality that issues like this and other issues, race, you might say um, poverty, any number of issues are totally muddled and confused and there's no perfect way through them it's like a case study for that so it is super complicated to have a feminist icon like uma thurman be be able to tell this story of how complicated this was for her as an individual woman and for all of us as consumers of media it's not easy and the aziz ansari issue was another great example of that like that was a very complex situation for us all to reflect on. I think that what's hard about this for us is how very complicated it is. And in our public lives right now, we tend to always be polarized. We're always being pulled to one pole or the other. And in an issue like this, you it's very difficult to do that. 
So it's famous people that we're hearing about. And so I'm thinking that the, the, the power comes into it. You know, when you get power, when you, when you become Bill Clinton, president of the United States, that's what we're hearing about. But I think the Me Too movement is all about everyone. You know, there are, I know on this show, we're talking about fandom and all of that. I mean, isn't it true that kind of men have this power over women throughout society, throughout yes. history? Yes. And so it is about power. Yes. You yeah. know, regardless of where you stand. And to me, the, the, the biggest, I don't know, I'm not a woman again, but the biggest tragedy to me is that women just can't be freaking left alone to live and thrive and create and be as wonderful or bland as they want to be without having someone pawn at them. You know, we're talking about, I think, passion and betrayal. And I know that that happens in our world. I know that there are people who are passionate about working for the church and love the churches that we work for. And I know that they have been betrayed by people in positions of power. And I do think that where this connects to what it is that we're living is there are personal stories of people who say, I uh, worked for an institution that did major harm to other people. And I, I love that institution so much that I'm still going to work for them. But we need to go into that work with our eyes open. Well, and it's, I mean, yeah, like, I think that you can extrapolate that to the church about the sort of passion and betrayal issue. But but let us not forget that women are sexually assaulted and harassed in churches, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you can make it big, like more universal, like that issue, which is true. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, let us not forget the particularities of it as well. Well, and this element of pedestal, when we, when someone gets kind of put in that position, there's a participatory part in their elevation that we are a part of as well. You know, whether it's with our dollars or with our interest or with our, you know, you know, hiring that person to be in that position in a biblical way, you know, our flawedness as human beings is, is evident from the very beginning when we get in trouble more often than not for trying to be like God, for trying to be in the highest spot, for trying to know everything. And that when we see that corruptibility that power offers, that God seems to be able to hold that, but is so worried when humans try to build a tower or eat a piece of fruit or um, enslave a bunch of people and say that they're, say that they're God on earth. That's not okay. But that at its heart, we just did the Noah story today. Like I started a new semester. So we just did Noah today. And God saying, oh my goodness, this was such a mistake. And I'm not going to do this ever again. Because <laughs> now I just know that humans are flawed from the beginning. I know that they're, and the kids really got hung up on the use of the word evil there. That humans are evil um, at their seed. You know, at their, and, uh, and I said, I said, now I want you all to think about this like Marvel superhero evil, like the bad guy. I want to think about this as a, we are flawed. Human beings are flawed. We screw up. We don't do things right. We hurt one another. We hurt God's creation. We, we, we sin. And is this some forgiveness in, as a part of this? And that, that God recognizes that, but still loves us anyway, and still moves towards us over and over again through different people and different situations and wants to be close with us, but that we struggle with that as a reality. Most of this is not complicated. Let me say that. Like most of these stories about men using their power to subjugate women 
that's not complicated at all. <laughs> They're so great. The fact that it's been happening in the church for forever. Exactly. Not also, complicated. It's it's just real. That's not a gray area. Yeah, no, that's not a gray area. Right. What I guess what I mean is that there has been revealed the the messy complicatedness of how we and I'm talking as women how we negotiate this in our lives. We all do it. We all do it. And this now movement has revealed um, how complicated that really is for us and, and what a completely unfair burden it is. Yeah. So I, I don't I would never want to say that there's a gray area when it comes to this type of abuse and misconduct. There's not. But the, but the way that we talk about it, if, if we keep trying to be perfect in the way that we talk about gender and sexuality and misconduct, we're not going to have an honest conversation because we're going to keep tripping over ourselves because in our lived experiences, it's quite complicated. Yeah. I have to recommend the, your, what you just said reminded me of the Will Ferrell hosted Saturday Night Live last week. Was it last week? Two weeks ago. There's a skit of like three couples going out to eat dinner together and they're one of them. Yeah. You know, they're having all this chit chat, this small talk. And then one of them brings up, um, Aziz and sorry, and they all start doing this thing with their voice, like I, I don't know, I want to say, and the other person next to them's like, careful, and you're like, oh, I'm kind of thinking that I might still watch his show, oh, no. and then they all react, and, and so that it is so hard to talk about this. I mean, it makes me think about you know conversations having you know inside the church around race and reconciliation and beloved community and all of that, you know, how we're trying to do that. And it means telling our story, which is happening. And it also means being open to our, that our human fallibility happens in our storytelling too. Yeah. That saying the right word and saying the right thing and, and, Oh no, can I say this? And Oh no, oh, no maybe edit this out. Like all of that. How do we get mm-hmm. through having enough grace in the room? To have the conversation and to screw it up. We're talking about this from the from the perspective of fans, so not from the perspective of victims, right? right. So yeah. Uma Thurman gives her interview. So as a Quentin Tarantino fan, you have the option to say, you know what? Yeah, that's sketchy. I don't I don't necessarily need to see any more Quentin Tarantino movies moving forward. What Liz said about like you know my dollars stop here. We have these situations in church where it's like uh, abuse happens or um, harassment happens or something like that, a viable response to that is to say, yeah, this, this isn't the place for me. If this is the kind of thing that happens in this place, I'm not going to go anymore. Right. And I guess I would just lift up that we can't, from the outside looking in, we can't um, prioritize those responses. Like any person who has experienced a wrong does have the right to just opt out and mm-hmm. say for, I do not need to be the reformer. I don't need to be in the midst of this reform. I'm going to find a different community. It is our communities are diminished when people choose to do that. And that's on us, you know, the people who stay within the institution, but I don't want anybody who's ever been, um, you know, a survivor of any kind of abuse to feel like they have, like they have to stay in, they might be called to do that. You know, that might be where their next move is, but again, it's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the homework for me with all of this 
is to actually make my own decisions, you know, not just be like, well, I, that was kind of weird. Oh, there's another one. And I wonder what will happen with that person. But um, maybe maybe this is something for, for people to do uh, to, to say, okay, you know, I, I'm not going to watch any more Woody Allen movies. Or I just, I feel like I, I just, I kind of keep a step away from it mm-hmm. because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but often when you keep away from things that are uncomfortable, you miss a lesson or you, you miss a, a personal reckoning you could you could uh, you could learn from. I think it's too simple to be like, well, I'm just going to see what happens, and you know, so and so will get out of celebrity jail, and it'll be okay to watch watch right. Louis C.K. Yeah. again. Yeah. Um, but maybe you know, maybe we really are not, not so much like being bullied or yelled into, kind of not watching stuff, but actually thinking, okay, so where do I stand on this, and will I will I will I bring my own personal morality to the to the situation? and make these decisions. Right. We've changed. I mean, it's a just, it's a sign that we, you know, sometimes it feels like we haven't made big progress, but the simple fact of believing women when they say things is a revolution. It's It's, huge. It is incredible. season we're going to continue with our blockbuster video inspired staff picks staff picks uh, are great staff picks are great liz has got a good one that i've actually been looking forward to so what tell me tell me your staff pick liz yeah so my staff pick this time is the new the reboot of queer eye for the straight guy on netflix Yes, it's so good. So you all might remember the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which probably came out in like the early 2000s. Yes, yes. on Bravo. Mm-hmm. On Bravo. Bravo's, um, one of Bravo's like first big hits. And for many Americans, I'm guessing, it was the first time that a group of gay men were in their living room. And so the premise of the show is that there's a group of five gay guys who sort of make over the life of a straight guy somewhere. Um, who's nominated by a friend, just like any other makeover show. And they do everything from like interior design to um, cooking and food to hair and grooming. And um, then also this sort of more nebulous, like personal empowerment side. So the reboot is the exact same concept. What's different about it, it's on Netflix. You can swear, which is kind of fun. The different cast and it takes place entirely in the state of Georgia. Oh. So it's, yep. Yeah. And um, I feel like it is the show that we need, that America needs right now. (laughs) Because what happens is in almost every episode that I've seen, there's a very true moment of exchange between both sides, if you will. Like for one, in one episode, for example, they're making over a police officer in a small town in Georgia. And it just so happens that he has to do a long car ride with um, 
one of the other guys who's African-American. And so they're just getting back from the place where they went together in the car. And they have this long, beautiful, hard conversation about um, basically about Black Lives Matter and about this one guy's experience as a black man being pulled over by police and the police officer's experience of being um, villainized by the public. And it's like a moment of real encounter between them. So what I like about this, this new reboot is that that um, exchange feels really mutual. It goes both ways. And the guys on the makeover team, they're called the fab five have come into these situations with such incredible confidence. And what I also love about it as sort of a person looking in is there are always these very beautiful moments of male affection that you never see, you rarely see on TV. And it's gay guys and straight guys both. Yay. That's what I want. Sounds great. Yeah, it's really good. It was so groundbreaking in in that way of, yeah, you know, it's about it was in the midst or sort sort of towards the tail end of like kind of the coming out movement. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that then it became, yeah, we're out. We don't have to come out. We're just us. And And, and yeah, they traveled all over the place and we're in all different kinds of places. And I think probably, yeah, Liz, with the siloing that we talk about all the time, that how easy it is to just be in your echo chamber and just talk to people that you're familiar with. And I think that that would be true on both sides. Thanks, Liz. Nice, Liz. Liz. Thanks, guys. Wait, I'm glad I'm not giving up television for Lent. What am I going to do? You're in such trouble. You're in I'm going to read a lot of books. Yes. Oh, oh God. You can, you can film your own show. <laughs> I know. I can start Liz my... Eye, Liz Eye for the queer guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Your own vlog. Is that still start... a thing? Do people still do that? Yeah. Yeah. I know I that on YouTube. Or... Yeah, that do that. So, but I've you, watched you're... a lot of vegan vlogs lately. Lots of vegans like to vlog. It's because of the V... It is. It's the alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find our podcast? Oh, this beautiful affirming podcast. <laughs> you can find it wherever you get your podcast needs met. SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, rate and review. We love it. Uh, you can also find us on Episcopal Cafe. Uh, we love Episcopal Cafe. and We know that you will too. You can go there for all your Episcopal news needs. That is it for our show. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Betsy. Have a good night. Keep those collars.